In today's episode, we have got a really terrific reselling conversation and some reselling news. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode number 29 of the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and as always, I am coming to you from the Batcave. In today's episode, like I said, we have got an absolutely terrific conversation with a reselling couple who have now gone on to add an additional business to their repertoire to help other resellers with some of the things that we don't always find to be the most enjoyable. So you'll definitely want to stick around for that. But first... News updates. Let's knock out some news really quickly. First up, I mentioned in the Wednesday podcast that eBay had had another problem processing payments to sellers on Tuesday. And the the expectation was that they would get it resolved fairly quickly, probably same day like they had the last time that happened. And that is indeed what happened later that day. The deposits all processed. My money was in my account on Wednesday morning like it normally is. So from that standpoint, no harm, no foul. The big difference is the last time that this happened, eBay posted an announcement on the Seller Hub and in their blog that there was, in fact, an issue and that they were working to resolve it. This time, it was crickets. There was nothing. They didn't say anything. They didn't post anything. They went about their business and fixed it. I'm not... I got my money, so I guess I'm okay with it, but a little more transparency on what's going on there would probably be helpful. Just a couple of other quick things I mentioned also, I think last week, that Poshmark was scheduled to have their initial public offering this week. It went live on Thursday, and it went crazy. Poshmark shares jump 141% in debut as Wall Street buys into growth plan. Uh, This article is in Fortune. I will, as always, link to these in the show notes and the video description below. Poshmark had no problem finding buyers for its stock on Thursday. The online marketplace for secondhand goods saw its shares more than double in their stock debut as investors showed faith that the company will build on its position as a leader in the booming resale market. Shares closed at $101.50 on NASDAQ, almost two and a half times the IPO price set late Wednesday. We had talked about what their initial offering was going to be, and I think the cap, the max, was either $35 or $39. By the time they got to that IPO offering, they had actually raised that a little bit because there was enough groundswell of buzz that the stock was going to do very, very well, and it just blew that out of the water. Huge, huge day for Poshmark. Uh, That puts their market cap at something like $7 billion or something ridiculous. So just a huge, huge day for Poshmark. So good on them. I hope they use that money wisely and invest in whatever infrastructure Poshmark sellers think they need. You can let me know in the comments uh, what kind of things you'd like to see Poshmark do with their newfound millions. Uh, The only other thing really that hit in the last week uh, and this isn't really necessarily, I guess, reselling related, but I've talked about previously the changes that eBay made in response to activist investors wanting there to be change within eBay. Uh, there's an article on e-commerce bites. Former eBay exec again falls victim 
to activist investors. Former eBay executive Bob Swan, who remains on eBay's board of directors, but was ousted, was ousted again, this time from Intel, where he had served as CEO since 2018. Swan was the chief financial officer at eBay when investor Carl Icahn forced it to break up the company and part ways with PayPal, which subsequently led to managed payments, which we led this segment off with. It's funny how things go full circle. Um, they initially had tried to fend him off within eBay. They were unable to do so, and Swan was ousted. And again, that has happened to him. Uh, an investment group pushed for some changes within Intel, and he faced just, I guess, unmanageable pressure and lost his gig yet again. So uh, he will remain in the CEO role until February 15th when they will name a replacement. But uh, good luck to him. He's now 0 for 2 <laughs> in these kind of high-profile positions. Uh, it's a shame. I wish the guy luck. Uh, activist investors can cause a lot of havoc, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad, like we talked about in a previous episode. Uh, one of the biggest activist investors in eBay, actually, once they got all the changes they wanted and the stock climbed, they cashed out and washed their hands of eBay entirely. So a lot of times these folks are not in it necessarily for the long haul. They're in it to create some short-term gain so that they can cash out and profit. So there you go. That wraps up the news for today. With that, let's get stuck into this really, really great interview. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hey, everybody. In today's conversation, I am really excited to be bringing you a reselling couple who has actually taken it now to the next level by opening an additional business to help other resellers store and ship their merchandise. So please give a warm Galaxian welcome to Dave and Lori from eBliss Reseller Solutions. The crowd loves you already. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Oh, thanks. Um, well, I'm Dave, and this is my wife, Lori. We are based out of Denver. We are both full-time resellers, and we've been full-time resellers for <clears throat> close to six years. Um, we sell mainly personal electronics. We have 4,000 listings, individual listings, unique listings on eBay, and we're strictly on eBay. Uh, so that's what we've, we've been doing this together for a couple of years, and we've identified each of our our own strengths and building on that and looking to help other resellers uh, continue to grow and enjoy the great thing about reselling. Awesome. Do you guys, do you share the same store or do you have separate eBay accounts? We actually have two accounts. I manage one and Dave manages the other. We find that it's an easier way to divvy up uh, tasks for 4,000 individual listings. Right. Do you have uh, kind of the same stuff on both? Or how do you how do you determine which items are going to go to which? Yeah, we we balance it out. We it's similar items, similar categories, um, and we definitely don't have a true pattern of who gets what. It's uh, we have a steady source of inventory coming to us from other um, suppliers that I, I work with that are out there in the field, whether it's at flea markets or thrift stores. And so when that, those items come in, we, we kind of balance out each account. So it has the same activity gotcha. that each of us handle. Yeah. 
Now on the sourcing, you, you said you've got kind of other folks. Do those folks work for you or are they, you pay them a bonus to bring you stuff? How does that work? You know, it's, it's similar to what a lot of people do. They, they network and they partner up. Um, it, it really started um, with me. I, I would, I would go to a lot of Goodwill outlet stores and every day the same people are going there looking for items. Right. And they, they either sell at flea markets or sell locally large items. And they, after getting to know them and working with them closely, it became a, a partnership where I, I'm interested in certain type of items. They realize, hey, if, uh, if I could sell it to Dave, um, it's quick. It's a quick flip for them. And if we could list it on our, our eBay accounts, we're hoping to flip it within six to eight months, typically. So it's, it's, a, it's a good partnership, but they, we've, we established that over time. Yeah. Now, do you still go out and source yourselves or are you totally relying on? Because the sourcing is the fun part. We'll get into that. That's kind of your whole premise of your other business. But <laughs> yeah, I don't source anymore. Uh, I did in the beginning, but Dave sometimes he'll he'll go out in the field several times a week just because he loves it so much. Yeah, it's as as you know, sourcing is fun. It's the thrill of the hunt. Um, I call I call it value hunting, not treasure hunting, because. I, I haven't seen a Picasso come through a Goodwill in <laughs> right. uh, eight years. So I'd rather find those $30, $40, $50 items and uh, get them listed and eventually flipped on our end. Right. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the the networking piece of it. Do, do you do that the other way? If you're outsourcing and you see something that you know somebody else would be interested in, do you tip them off or how do you how do you do that? Kind of scratch my back, I'll scratch your thing. You nailed it. Um, as a reseller, when when I first started reselling, I was I was paranoid. I was like, I don't want to let anyone know that I am going to get a North Face jacket and resell it on eBay. And it got to the point where there are so there are so many niches, categories, items out right. there that my brain I, I just can't handle um, and all items. So yeah, we do network. I do if I come across items that I know uh, another one of. Uh, my friend sells, I'll pass it to him. So it's kind of like a give, give and take. Right. Right. And like you said, you see the same people as you go out and I've had this, I've only been doing it about 18 months, but I already, you recognize, you know, that guy's looking for electronics and this woman's looking for books and you kind of get to know who's doing what uh, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So you've been doing this for a while. What, what did you guys do prior to getting into reselling? I know, Laura, you were, you came to this a little bit later than Dave did. So tell me that story. Yeah, I, um, Lori and I, we moved out to Colorado from New Jersey just over eight years ago. And we were working both, we were working for a financial advisor based out of New Jersey and, we, we needed, we needed to change a life. And we, we came out to Colorado. It's beautiful out here. And we were like, let's make, let's make something good happen. So we were working out of our, our house for the financial advisor that um, I mentioned for a few years. And um, then I noticed um, when we moved out to Colorado, it's like, wow, there's a lot of thrift stores out here. Uh, And out in New Jersey, I just, it wasn't part of uh, our, you know, pattern of buying. We sure. were, we were, we were retail buyers. I would love going to outlets, but, um, uh, coming out here at the thrift stores, I just noticed there's a ton of great outerwear out in Colorado, as you could imagine. Right. And a good friend of mine out here is a reseller full time. 
but he would sell more higher end uh, electronics. So um, I dabbled first in clothing sales. Uh, and so that's how we got into reselling. My background is uh, I've worked in corporate America for close to 20 years in financial planning and financial analysis. And I love numbers. And so, yeah, but I deep, deep down inside, I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and I've, I haven't even known that until I started reselling. Sure. You know, <laughs> right. And my background uh, is in music. I went to Rutgers as well, but then I decided that that wasn't going to be a feasible career. So I went into the regular non-corporate America job. I was in business development and then we worked together at the, as Dave said, uh, we originally met at Sears we, at work. So we, we've had a lot of history working together, except this was the first time that we actually had a business that we owned together. So that was a little bit different than just working together. Right. So you both have experience in kind of finance and sounds like some retail, which is where my background is. I spent 30 years in, I was a GM for Best Buy. I owned my own little record store for a while. So I've kind of gone down that path. What skills do do you feel like you brought from those work experiences that have helped you in specifically in your reselling? Yeah. I, after close to 15 years in financial planning, uh, numbers speak to me. So I, I, I could see patterns with numbers and that's what really uh, elevated our business uh, to be, to allow us to do both do reselling full time. It was identifying uh, the potential, which was the amount of items we could source, and then backing into that into what the net number would be for us to live off of. So we, we by knowing our numbers, it gave us such confidence and vision to get to that next level with confidence. Right. And I think that's an area where a lot of resellers kind of fall down. They don't they don't know or understand their numbers. And a lot of them, they don't have any background in that. So it's a really hard to get to get your arms around it if you don't have any experience with it. So that was one of the things I noticed right away when I got started with all my management background was the numbers, like you say, they kind of spoke to me and I could see, okay, here's some stuff with some amazing margins and in big quantities that I can make a go of things. How, how did you make the transition from clothing and the things you were starting with into personal electronics? It, it happened um, a couple different ways. I, the clothing's diff, difficult for me. I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoy the clothing, finding items for a couple bucks. But I, as far as reselling, I just, it just didn't, it didn't give me that excitement. The, the electronics had better margins. Uh, they were easy, easily identifiable. Uh, and yeah. I loved, we're strictly eBay. So using the eBay app while you're out in the field sourcing was amazing. I would just typing in uh, a model number, looking up the 90 day sales history, you knew that was, if that was going to sell or not. So right. that's mainly the reason why we went into electronics, just because it was easy to uh, see sales trends for specific items. So electronics obviously can come with a lot of potential downsides, things that don't work or, you know, they get where they're going and they don't work and they're big and they're bulky to ship. What kind of process do you have in place? You know, when you find something out there, what do you go through to decide, okay, this is definitely something I want to buy and this is how I'm going to list it and all that kind of walk me through that process. Well, the sourcing criteria is, is fairly simple. 
um, if it's over a certain threshold in, in sales price and versus the shipping cost, because we wouldn't want to sell something for $20 that costs $10 to ship. doesn't make a lot of sense. So you have to do that differential in your head real quick. Um, like Dave said, if it has a selling history on eBay, then most likely it's something that we would want to sell because we know it will sell. But once we get it here, because uh, we, we have such a variety of things, that electronics that we sell, we have set up over time, it didn't start out this way, but we have developed over time a pretty systematic process, and we literally call it processing, uh, of those items. And that is the process of taking it, making sure it works, cleaning it, giving it if it needs accessories or whatnot, determining the price, determining how it's going to be listed, that sort of thing. And that is a very systematized process that we have, that we have we have people do, working for us that do that job. Gotcha. Uh, in addition to Dave, does some of that as well. Uh, but we've developed that over time. What kind of, if you buy, say, a VCR that has no manual, no remote, whatever, do you, do you seek out those things to kind of offer a complete product or, or do you sell here's a VCR with none of the extras? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, that developed over time. I, I found that it's, it was, it's easier and I would say better for the end user to sell the components as opposed to assembling a complete uh, ready to go uh, item. And, for example, cameras. Um, we sell a lot of cameras, lenses. We break up the cameras. We sell the lens separately from the camera body. And that, that, that typically came about because sometimes the lenses have haze or fungus in them, and, but the camera body is still good. Then you're, then you're battling, do you want the camera body, et cetera. So um, we found out the party almost we, – we call it parting out items, right. not, not – kind of, you know, being a vulture and, and ripping it apart, but selling something um, either as is or parts repair and identifying like untested, uh, there is a strong market for that and it, on eBay especially. Yeah, I've noticed, I watch um, Commonwealth Picker on YouTube yeah. and he's another one. He's really big on parting out. He'll, he'll take a vacuum cleaner and he'll sell this piece separately and that piece separately and um, I've done really well just finding like you go to an estate sale and there's a stack of owner's manuals for old vintage electronics. And some of those bring 10, 15, 20 bucks a piece just for, you know, a 10 page booklet that you can ship out super cheap. So definitely get the whole parting it out. I was curious which way you went on that. And I, like you say, a lot of folks, they, they may already have some of it. They may be replacing the, the VCR, but they've already got the remote in the book or vice versa. So that's a, obviously a really great strategy. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that you only sell on eBay. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat. I dabble a little bit in Mercari and a couple of the others, but 95% of my business is on eBay. Was that a conscious choice? And <laughs> do you think about expanding beyond that at some point? Uh, it was a conscious choice. Uh, we have found that for what we sell, it serves us very well. Um, and it's pretty much a case of if it's not broken, don't fix it at this point. Uh, in the past, we actually did sell on Amazon a little bit, books, more mm -hmm. newer items. Uh, but we just didn't feel like that was getting us. We just weren't doing the kind of business and volume that we needed uh, to to do anything there 
very well. So we have we are strictly eBay. Um, a lot of the other platforms, we can't even sell what we sell on the other platforms, like yeah. Poshmark, things right. like that. And be, yeah, so we feel like it's it works for us, and it really depends on what you sell. I think in terms of cross listing to other platforms. So, have you ever had any situations where something went totally sideways and you found yourself on a three day suspension or anything goofy like that where it hindered your business a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Early on, um, I was I was sloppy. This is probably seven years ago uh, when eBay had a, a tougher criteria where neutral feedback was a, a ding. Uh, everyone knows negative feedback nowadays and, and neutral is, is nothing great. And, but back then, uh, if you neglected responding to someone within you know twenty four or forty eight hours, you could get you could get a ding. And so, yeah, the one account that I started at that time, yeah, I was, um, I think I was below standard for like a month and I was like, Oh, this is, this is dangerous. This is so thankfully we eliminated that we are attention to the customer service and processing a return. Uh, we elevated that to the top of our list. Um, it's more than just selling the item. You really need to service the client. Right. And that's another thing. And I've harped on that, I think, in numerous episodes of my podcast and the show that the customer service aspect, you know, a lot of resellers, they don't, they don't even talk to anybody about a return. What kind of return percentage do you have? Do you see a lot of stuff that's coming back or is it not all that bad? Well, I, I don't know what the industry standard is, so I don't know how to compare it to, but we do know what our return rate is because we track that uh, as part of tracking, knowing our numbers. And we expect that selling used electronics that there our return rate should be higher than most people. And it ranges anywhere from uh, five to 10% any given time, but it averages somewhere in between there. Yeah. That's, I don't think that's probably a bad number for yeah. that type of merchandise. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you got like a box of bricks back or any of those kind of goofy scam things you see online all the time? Not that bad. Uh, we do. We're very careful about how we list our items, what we put in our, how we photograph our items. We don't go crazy. I know some other people do little crazy things with stickers and hologram things and that sort of stuff. We don't really go that crazy, but um, there might have been one or two times where we were like, hmm, maybe it seemed like they might have taken a part out or something, but we couldn't prove it. Right. So it's just we bake it into the the, the practice or the the overall. Uh, ex- expectation of what we're going to do. It's part of the, it's part of the way we do our business. Yeah, And I, I it really depends. Our average selling price is 50 ish, $50. And not many people are going to uh, be nefarious and, and take parts out from a $50 item, maybe a $500 item. You may have run into that, but, and I've, I've heard of that on the higher end stuff, you could run into that, that problem. So yeah, I, I, I would say no. I would, and um, we do take uh, pictures of the serial number of I was just going to say, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so that, that protects us as well. Uh, you know, I give everyone the benefit of, of the doubt. I know there's probably the half a percentage out, out there that take find loopholes, uh, but it's part of our business model. We, we kind of bake it in that, a yeah. return is going to happen and some fraud or whatever you want to call it. So. Right. It's just part of the cost of doing business. I remember really early on in my retail career, I worked for a guy and we were having a meeting discussing, you know, shoplifting and shrink and all the rest of the stuff that you go through in retail. And he said, you know, they wanted to implement some really crazy restrictive policies 
on the retail selling floor. And the, the owner of the company finally said, you know, you can't run your business based on what half a percent yeah. of your quote unquote customers are going to do to you. Cause if you do that, you'll just run it into the ground, focus on the other 99 and a half percent and the rest of it will take care of itself. You know, that and that goes to our numbers as well. We uh, we know a lot of people that run their business foc- focusing on the expenses, uh, focusing on um, really controlling every dollar, nickel, and dime. Uh, we we had a, uh, a switch uh, where we focus on the revenue side, the growth, the opportunity. Uh, we and we know that as long as our margins and our processes are in place. Everything should fall into place and be aligned. Uh, so, yeah, you know, not to go on a tangent too much, but knowing your numbers is important and baking that in, as you mentioned, into yep. your business model. You mentioned kind of your average ticket price. Do you sell like super high end vintage electronics? Do you find things like that uh, occasionally? I'm sure it's not the you know the bulk of your business, but yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, it's hard to pass up a vintage Sansui receiver that you see uh, at at a Goodwill or a flea market where, you know, you could flip that for $800. Uh, we, we, we steer away from that. A lot has to do with the weight, the size, the, the, the shipping challenges with something that large. And also we can't test out every function of that. Uh, so we, if we do come across items like that, we would sell them powers on untested as is, and just, you know, blow it out for, four or $500. Right. Instead of trying to max everything out and put yourself at at risk of something not being right. Yes. Right. Definitely. What's your primary method of shipping? Do you use mostly UPS FedEx, I assume for the bigger items like that? For the bigger items, we definitely use FedEx, but the majority of our items would use USPS. Yeah. Well, one of the exact number percentage of first class versus priority mail, but it's mostly USPS. Describe kind of what are your normal like bread and butter items. Personal electronics covers a pretty wide range and for them to be kind of falling in that first class slash maybe low priority, they've got to be fairly small and fairly light. So is it like Walkman, Discman, you know, small stuff like that or what kind of stuff are you selling? Not to give away all your trade secrets, of course. but (laughs) It's a a large gamut of different things. Uh, The three main categories are consumer electronics, computer, uh, items and camera and photo. So those are the majority of what we sell. And so it runs the gamut of things like Apple TVs, uh, personal, okay. like you said, CD players, cameras of all sorts, routers, hmm. um, in, all sorts of just small, like we, the smaller, the better <laughs> because it's easier to ship and it's easier to store. Uh, but if, if, if it'll make a good, if it will turn fast and it, it meets our criteria, we will most likely We'll, we'll take it and list it. Um, I can't think of any large other swaths of things. I mean, it's such a variety. Yeah. I'm just trying to go through the smaller things. Like I said, cameras, computer parts, um, not so much parts, but computer like routers are com- considered in the computer sure. category. Um, it really depends on what we find. We've some, found some yeah. really – we, we won't limit ourselves to just com- uh, electronics. So we do have some – Clothes, very small shoes, things like that. Yeah, and, and also this is the benefit of work, networking with others in the field. Um, they know that I'm going to purchase anything that has a, a track record of a reselling track record on eBay. So, you know, they're they're pounding away on their phones when they're out there in the field, and if they come across an item, 
that will resell. They'll they'll pass it my way. So that helps me out because it then then it sure. opens up another avenue where I could uh, trans transfer that um, knowledge to a, other networks uh, that I deal with um, and let them know, hey, I'm I'm interested in these type of remotes now. If you come across them, definitely send them my way. So it strengthens both. Right. That was my next question. Do, do those folks have an idea of the things that you're looking for and what kind of pricing criteria you're after? Definitely. And it has taken time. It's not easy. A, a lot of the, the people I work with, I've known for a couple of years. So just trial and error. And yeah. most of the time I take the bad with the good. They may find some sl- grand slams and they may find some duds. And, right. So I just share with I just share with them, and and I also um, I buy in bulk from them. So it's not like when I meet them, I'm going through every single one and calculating. I have to make sure certain margins. So uh, and they appreciate that because they know it's a it's a give and take, and it's a business partnership. Um, and I do share with them that hey, I'm going to make X amount on this, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm sharing that profit equally with you because what I'm paying you for that is what I'm going to get. So they, right. So they're, they're not resentful if knowing I'm going to sell something for a lot more. Right. Everybody gets their, their piece as it were. How do you handle the duds? If you get something that's just, it's not a great selling item or you get something that, you know, doesn't work. I mean, obviously you can throw that up as, you know, for parts of repair and still squeeze a little bit out of it, but Pretty much that. Yeah, we, if there is a, a parts repair um, market for it, we would do that. Um, sometimes we do lot up, uh, for example, calculators. Um, there are certain scientific or ma- uh, financial calculators out there <clears throat> that if they don't work, there's still a, a market out there. There, there are um, brokers that buy lots of broken calculators and fix them. They have the knowledge how to do that. So, But there are times where things just get recycled and we just yeah. don't sell them. Yeah. Do you guys do any repair refurbishing or is it strictly kind of you clean it up and do a basic testing and then move on to the next? Very basic testing. Our motto is profits, not projects. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. perfect. It can be so easy to be like, Oh, let me fix this. And then I can sell it for more. And yeah. perfect example. We had a, a vacuum cleaner canister that was a very simple fix. Mm. And if we had fixed it, we could have sold it for hundreds of dollars more. But we were like, no, let somebody else do that. We'll take what we can get out of it and be done with it. Right. Yeah. So, and reinvest that money on the next and the next. Yep. Definitely. Because you know, space, space is a challenge as well. You don't want to have your house or basement garage turning into projects that you'll get around to because we know how that could be. Right. And I, I, that's, we've learned that. We learned that early on in the game with reselling. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't want to get trapped into that hoarder mentality. Right. (laughs) So speaking of space, uh, that's probably as good a place as any to transition into the other part of your business, um, the eBliss reseller solutions. But first let me get a quick word in here from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're on Apple podcasts and you want to do me a solid please leave me a review. That would be awesome. If you're listening anywhere else, there's a link in the show notes to my Podchaser page where you can also go and leave a review. Be sure to check me out on YouTube at Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips and follow me on Instagram at Galaxy CDs Rocks. Thanks again. 
So tell me a little bit about that and how, how you came up with that and what prompted starting that, that side business. So, yeah, we, um, as mentioned, I, I started the, my reselling, uh, reselling business as, as a side hustle, as pretty much most resellers do. But then I saw the potential for um, growth into a full-time position for me. Uh, I looked at the amount of sourcing I could do and networking with people that would provide me with items. And um, definitely I took it to the level where um, I needed, I wanted to invest in my reselling business to allow Lori to come on full time and get us to a place that we could sustain and, and, and be full-time resellers, true full-time resellers. The only way to do that was to get help and space. So really had to invest in um, a warehouse and at, at the time it was an 800, 800 square foot warehouse that had internet and heat. It's something to consider. <laughs> right. Not, it's, we're, we're not talking about a storage facility. So we needed the facil- the utilities there as well for it truly to be uh, functional. So we, we did have, we did hire people to help with listing and shipping. Um, and we did realize that it was going to be, it would probably cost us, and anywhere from two to three thousand dollars a month to um, get to that level, to have the storage facility and the employees. So most most resellers get to the point where they plateau at cl- maybe eight hundred listings, and they say, you know, I need I need help, and they stop they because they just don't have that ability to invest that extra two or three thousand dollars into the business to have a true warehouse or uh, people doing shipping for them. So that's, that, that really sparked the, the idea of establishing eBliss, creating eBliss. And this has been a thought for two years that we've worked on and really hashed out in great detail to allow resellers that plateau to get past that plateau into the next level at an affordable cost, not the two to $3,000 a month that it typically takes. So that's how it came about. When did, when did you actually start that part of the business? Well, the idea two years, as I mentioned, two years ago, we, we saw the need. We, we, we actually coordinate the Denver eBay meetup group. And so we network with a lot of resellers and most of them, same, same challenges. Uh, I don't have, um, I, the shipping is challenging. The space is challenging and the organization Mm-hmm. is challenging the inventory organization. So that's, that's when it really came about you know, to, for us to really be motivated to create this, assert the service in eBliss to benefit those that want to get to the next level and enjoy growth and freedom. When did you start accepting business? Uh, we launched at the end of September, early October. Okay. So pretty recent. So yeah. four or five months ago, give or take. Mm-hmm. Right. And how has that gone so far? What's the reception been? Overall, the reception's mm-hmm. been very positive. Mostly everybody we speak to is amazed that this is an option for them because uh, previously it really wasn't for thrifters, for people who sell individual one-of-a-kind items just like we do. Uh, and it's been over, it's overwhelmingly been positive. Good. Yeah. What, what kind of space do you have devoted to that and kind of how many people and how, how big of an operation is it? Cause obviously yeah. you're not doing that in an 800 square foot 
space. <laughs> uh, we we currently uh, we we had moved our business into a two thousand square foot facility. Uh, we have employees that are amazing, um, and they know more about shipping than we could ever know. They are efficient. Some have worked with USPS, FedEx, and UPS. So we we have great experience on our team, and they have they have elevated our our own reselling business to a different level. Um, right now, the challenge is space. Um, you know, the field of dreams, the movie from the eighties. It's build it and they will come. It's like, well, that's easier said than done. Yeah. We would love to go out and get a fifty thousand square foot uh, warehouse and open it up for Eblis clients. It's just, it's a timing thing right now. We are, we are almost maxed out where we are now with our own reselling business and Eblis clients. Um, just to let you know, we've, we beta tested this for over a year with a handful of uh, clients that are still with us and ironed out all the wrinkles and we are, we're, we're ready to really get into a bigger place right now, but we just have to get the word out. That's right. the hardest part. So you're kind of at that plateau that you mentioned that resellers run into. You're, I need more space, but I'm not quite there. And do I want to take the plunge? And that's a real, that's a big step. Yeah, yeah it definitely is. It's because uh, we know it's going to work. We see the success. Our clients are thrilled. We're we're relying upon them to spread the word. We It's, it's not like we have a $100,000 marketing budget where we could go out right. and start pounding people with ads. We... The, the reselling community is small. It's it's tight knit, and there's a lot of great resources out there. And we all have the same passion. We all have the same. Um, I think the the same goal is to enjoy freedom, outsource the mundane tasks that weigh us down. And for most, it's shipping and storage that is a, a, a big weight. Um, listing is another one, but. Um, it, so it's just, it gives gives resellers an option to grow and scale. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the process. So I've got some stuff that I want to send to you. Do do I list that stuff and then send it to you and then you add a custom SKU for inventory location and then you handle the the shipping and all the rest of that? Walk me kind of through what from the the individual seller's side of it what that process would look like. Right. You pretty much described it. Uh, pretty well. Um, that's the, the gist of the idea. The seller would list the item. They would use scheduled listings, and then they would send those items to us via FedEx that we pay for. Uh, and then when we receive it, we'd go through our process of, like you said, uh, assigning a storage location for it so that when it sells, we can find it and ship it for the seller. Right. And then how does... I guess, how, what's the cost structure? How is that calculated? If I'm a reseller and I want to send you something, what's, what does that look like? Yeah, so just to simplify it, we, we pay to receive your items. We're going to provide all of our clients uh, the ability to have FedEx pick up uh, a box that we will provide, bags that we will provide at, at your house. So many of our clients, I'll give you an example, um, uh, a client of ours uh, goes out and thrifts around 50 items a week and she, she lists Friday and Saturday and she, she does the custom uh, uh, the scheduled listing on eBay. Just to let you know, we are, we can handle other platforms, but eBay is our 
our portal, so to speak, where we work off of. So she will schedule her listings. She puts them in her the box, and she at Sunday she'll print she'll uh, print out a FedEx shipping label, slap them on the boxes, and FedEx picks them up from her porch, and they are delivered to us, and then we put them live. So as far as the cost, just to simplify it, um, we we know that as a percentage of sales, the cost that uh, using eBliss, it's going to vary depending on your average selling price. Um, some people that sell something for $100, the cost is going to be – 10% or less. Some people who sell something for $30, it could be a little bit more. But so just, so what we did is just to simplify it, it's anywhere from it's going to range anywhere from $4 to $8 per item from start to finish for us to receive it, store it on our shelves depending on how long it is and also fulfillment. So what's the what's the payment structure? So I send you something and it sits there for six months. Do I get billed regularly kind of a storage fee or do I only pay when the item finally sells or I recall it? What, how does that work? Right. The fee structure consists of the three activities that Dave mentioned, the receiving, the storage and the fulfillment. So each of those has a flat fee uh, structure to them. So yes, the longer the item stays on the shelf, it, the long, the more would that particular component will cost are there are there particular items that you feel like this would work better for than others um especially given that it's pretty much ebay focused yeah you know it it goes back to what you source uh someone who sells long tail items may have to (laughs) yeah i mean i've got like six thousand books and cds that may sit here for a very long time so i i feel like just uh, looking at it on the surface of it, this is probably not a plan for me. I can see where it would work for a lot of folks, but yeah, long tail items. But if you had long, if those books and CDs were a hundred dollars each, you would say definitely. It, it really comes down to what you, the selling price is of your items, and we have found that yes, the the threshold's probably around twenty dollars all in. Um, including what you would pay for shipping uh, for your shipping label on, on eBay. So anything under $20 probably is going to be a challenge for most people. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. You mentioned it does work for other platforms. Uh, do you have kind of a list of platforms or maybe a short list of the ones that it definitely does not work with? Uh, yes. Any platform that we, the seller can provide the label to us will work. And right now that is definitely Poshmark. Uh, the other platforms, I believe, include Macari, uh, Kitizen, Depop, even Facebook Marketplace. And even the ones that the uh, label isn't provided by the platform itself, like Poshmark, if the seller can provide their own label, say like their pirate ship, then we can fulfill that item. The only caveat is, is it has to be listed on eBay as well. Right. That makes sense. Um, are there any growing pains that you've run into? Obviously you said you beta tested this and tried to work the kinks out, but now that it's started to scale up a little bit other than the running out of space, is there anything that you've run into that you've been kind of like, Hmm. I would just say just the, I think just getting the word out, just trying to explain to people about an opportunity or a service that previously didn't exist for them. And how are you approaching that? 
Obviously, you talked a little bit about you know the tight knit community, and I see you're you're really active on Instagram. You're not currently doing YouTube that I know of, but what what kind of your plans going down the social media path for the future? Yeah, we we definitely know that word of mouth is is the way to go, uh, um, and and our clients will share that being on today with you, getting the word out. It's really enlightening resellers into looking at their business in three ways. There's the sourcing component, there's the listing component, and then the fulfillment, which is storage and shipping component. Uh, So educating resellers on how to outsource one or two or three of those items to allow them to grow is our goal. We, we want to empower resellers to get to that, that, that next level and not give up. Too many resellers just plateau and give up. So by allowing eBliss to be a solution for them, they can realize that um, outsourcing the back end of their business is an option now. Right. Not just, not just list, have hiring a VA to do the listing. Right. And you mentioned, I think, that that's for a lot of people, it's the least fun part of the process and it can be the shipping in particular can be pretty daunting if you don't know what you're doing i mean you can cost yourself a lot of money <laughs> yeah, especially on ebay ebay is probably the big the hardest i think because you have to do it all yourself and there's so many options uh, you're right then the shipping is definitely one of the biggest sticking points yeah we're, we're especially um excited for posh poshers posh marker posh mark sellers because many of them enjoy the transaction. They enjoy the selling. They love the sourcing. Um, and, and they know that eBay has 180 million buyers. Poshmark may is limited, right. but they know that deep down inside to get to that next level, to grow their uh, Poshmark business, they need to get on eBay. And the, as you mentioned, the shipping on eBay is challenging. Poshmark, they provide a label for you over and done with, no thoughts, no worries at all. So we're, we're excited about that, being able to work with uh, those poshers that want to get into eBay and don't have to worry about the shipping. Right. We, we I, do I think it would be helpful for the Poshmark people anyway, because they're, one of their big focuses is all the, the sharing of the closets and all that, kind of the social aspect of it, that you'd now have all that extra time that you're not messing around with shipping and packing and storing where you can actually be actively promoting your wares instead of wasting your time on that. So I, whether they decided to go down the eBay path or not, I would think that would be a great fit for them, assuming that the dollar volume makes sense. Correct. Yeah. And back to our, the, the one client I was mentioning earlier, she, she's thrilled because she was spending anywhere from five to seven hours a week picking, packing and shipping. And, and by shipping, I mean, you know, getting those packages to the post office. Right. So that those five to seven hours that she saved a week, she says, I go out and I source now. She goes, I could probably source a, anywhere from 100 to $200 an hour. And so it's simple math. You, you, you have to look at the time saved and how you could use that time saved on the, reven, on the revenue generating side of your business. And she's thrilled because now she's able to grow without any barriers. Right. Well, and like you yeah. talked about growing the revenue side of your business and focusing on that as opposed to how I can save an extra nickel on every bubble mailer. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. It, it, that time is really valuable and can certainly be better spent yeah. doing those things. Not to mention that those are the things that are the most fun. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. 
So in, in addition to the Instagram that you guys are doing, what, what are your plans for social media for your business? Well, we do have some plans in mind. We recognize that we are not uh, social media experts. So when we first went into this, we would dabble in social media on a personal level, but we never really had to do social media on our business level. Uh, that's one thing, interestingly, on our personal, our, our regular eBay business, we don't do any social media whatsoever uh, there. So but this has been a new thing for us. And so we recognize that we need outside help. We, we need to outsource that part of our business, just like other sellers need right. to outsource, outsource other pieces of their business. So we do have plans to expand into YouTube and other channels to uh, expand, greatly, hopefully, uh, increase the amount of exposure that our, that our offering can get. Yeah. Right. And, and we, you're in a great position because you can you can highlight two different things, your reselling and your right. personal experience in that, plus then this additional business. So you can kind of show people, you know, not only do we have this, but we're actually doing it as well, which I think would be really powerful. Yes. Right. And, and it's very difficult. We're, I, I, I would consider ourselves humble, <laughs> but, it, but that's, I think it's a generational thing. I, I, we don't, Social media is a is a new is an animal we we're not used to. So we grow up with it. Yes, obviously. So, but we are looking to collaborate with a lot of other uh, influencers out there that can assist us in getting the word out and getting great content out for their viewers. Mm-hmm. As as I mentioned, it's a it's a to- tightly knit community and. At why reinvent the wheel? If somebody did it right, let's all share it and grow and elevate our games. Right. Because we're all here to not only have fun and like you said, get, you know, some of the freedom that you don't have in the kind of nine to five grind, but in the end to make some money. (laughs) Without a doubt. It's fun. Yeah, Yeah, sure. (laughs) Well, with that, um, that's probably as good a place to wrap it up as any. Is there anything else you'd like to add and let everybody know where they can find you on Instagram and the website for the business and all that good stuff, your eBay store, if you want to share that? Sure. Yeah. You could, you could just go Google eBliss, E-B-L-I-S-S, and we will come up. It's eBliss Reseller Solutions is the formal name of our right. business. But the website is eblissreseller.com, and we're on Instagram as eBliss Reseller Solutions. Right. And, and Facebook, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we hope, we hope to... You know, get some followers and get you know keep on building this up and and as you mentioned my last thought would be uh this is an amazing industry that we're in the reselling industry is booming and don't settle for you know where, where you're at now go for it go right. to the next level there's enough resources out there and use the skills that you have acquired over time in your head to grow your business with your, uh, that way. Um, and not focus on the, as you mentioned, the expenses, focus on the growth, the revenue side of your business. Right. And you mentioned, you know, utilizing your tools and the things that, that you're not good at, find the people who are and either learn from them or take advantage. Like in your case, you know, sign up for your service. And this is not sponsored by the way. (laughs) Um, but take advantage of, you know, when I was in retail management, you know, I always wanted people that were smarter than me or had experience in areas that I didn't because that made my team better and that made my store better. And this is kind of the same thing. If you're really good at sourcing, but you're really terrible at shipping or you're terrible at taking photos, leverage someone else's experience 
to grow your business. You don't have to know everything. Yeah, a solo a solopreneur can only go so far. An entrepreneur could the sky's the limit, and we've experienced that. We knew we needed help. We hired uh, people to help us get to that next level. And that was an eye opener for us. That's why we're excited to offer this. Right. And now we can work on our business, not in our business. And it pretty much has allowed us to, to uh, work on eBliss and allowed us to continue the business as it was and, and yeah. do eBliss as well. Right. Just kind of one last thing. What, what do you think the future of your business will be? Which, which of those two, the kind of the reselling or the eBliss will become kind of the central focus of what you're doing moving forward? It, it definitely will be eBliss. We, we have such passion about helping other resellers. Uh, we did it for ourselves and it, it doesn't make sense for us to keep our secrets to ourselves. We want others to succeed. And just the satisfaction in that alone is worth it exploring. Um, I just saw a meme. You know, we're, 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 every day we're bombarded with memes, but I saw a great meme that said, don't start a business to make money. Start a business to make a difference. And it couldn't be truer where we stand right now. That's awesome. So yeah. I, I wish you all the success with it. Um, I will share the links to all of your various websites and yeah. social media in the show notes and the description below, please be sure you go and check them out. And again, thank you so much for taking some time out of what I'm sure is a very busy day uh, to talk with us. Thank you so much for having us. Great job. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. So I hope that you got something out of that interview. Um, Dave and Lori, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day on a midweek work day. I really appreciate it. If you found some value there, do me a favor, whack that thumbs up button for the video and go visit eBliss Reseller Solutions. I will link to it in the show notes and the video description below. Go check them out if that's the kind of thing that you think you would be interested in. As I mentioned, kind of at the tail end of that video, it, that's, it is not a sponsored video. There's no affiliate link involved, nothing like that. In this case, it is something that I would consider in the future just for full transparency. We did discuss it. It is not the case in this video, so there's no monetization, no nothing. This is strictly a recommendation to go check them out because I think they represent a good value uh, if you're in the kind of position where you could use them. So with that, we're going to wrap it up for today. I hope you have a great upcoming week. And we will see you again on Wednesday. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.